Have you ever been in a situation where you just found yourself thinking, I don't know what to say? Now, I don't do wisdom very well, but I do verbose. I do that really well. I talk a lot. So there haven't been a lot of life situations where I didn't have something to say. There have been a lot of situations where I shouldn't have said what I did say. But still, there are some times, even in my life, where I thought, I don't know what to say. Now, I think back when I was a kid. My mom was really good at this. I would be doing something that irritated her often, and she would be getting more and more frustrated, and she would say, do you want me to spank you? What do I say? I wasn't going to say yes because I figured she would oblige me and go ahead and do it. If I said no, I knew my mom well enough that she would decide, who are you to tell me what to do? And she would do it anyway. So I got this, you know, this child, teenager kind of look that, that says, I have no brain behind these eyes. I'm just going to stare at you until she went on with whatever she was saying. I was not about to answer because I never did figure out what a good answer was to that question. Another situation that still happens once in a while, my wife will come home with a new outfit. She tries it on. Now, almost all of the time, I just say, I like that. That's great because it's the truth. So, because of a commitment to the truth, when she comes home with one that she obviously liked enough to buy and tries it on and comes in and says, how do you like this outfit? Now, by the way, I have my wife's permission to talk about this, okay? We talk through this at home, so we won't, I don't think we'll need counseling after this. But when I don't like it, inside I'm going like that, and, and, but I, I'm thinking, what do I say? Do I say, oh, I don't like that at all. Uh, my older son made a mistake once when she came out with a new outfit, and he says, Mom, that looks like an old school teacher outfit. Now, school teachers don't get bent out of shape, okay? He was a kid. He didn't know any better, okay? Now, I don't know if my wife objected to the school teacher part or the old part. I think it was the old because she was like yeah, around maybe 40 then, last year, of course, uh, about 40 years old. And so, you know, this thing of getting old didn't sit well with her. So that outfit disappeared. I mean, just disappeared out of the closet. So those situations, you know, never, never sure what to say. I remember Cosby's show. I'm a great fan of Bill Cosby. He's one of my favorite philosophers. Uh, his wife said, said something to him, and he, he was backed into a corner, and, and she said, well, what do you have to say for yourself? And he looks around the room like somebody's going to help him. There's nobody else in the room, nobody there to help him. He looks around the room, and then he looks right at her and says, what do you want me to say? I thought that was a great answer. I decided to use it. Didn't work so well at my house like it did on TV. But hey, and guys, while we're at it, uh, this week I was searching for that video clip, and uh, I found some other wisdom from Bill Cosby. I mean, most of the, the wise stuff I know came from Bill Cosby. And here's what it is. Men, you pay close attention. Men, women don't want to hear what you think. They want to hear what they think in a deeper voice. <clears throat> now, that'll help you sometime when you say, oh, I don't know what to say. Just say what they said in a deeper voice. But there's another time for everybody in this room, not just guys, when we can have 
fear in our hearts, or we can just come to a place where we go, I don't know what to say. When somebody starts talking about Jesus or someone asks us about our faith in Jesus Christ, we stutter, we stammer, we look for an exit, or I've even heard people say, I can't say this one because I am a pastor. Well, I don't know. I'm not a pastor. Like, hey, only the professionals know that stuff. And so today, or, or people are afraid they're going to say the wrong thing and, and have somebody hate Jesus for the rest of their lives because they said the wrong thing. So today, the goal is this. When you leave here, either you've identified the fact that you need to accept Jesus Christ and be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. That would be an awesome thing. Or, if you've already been born again, you've accepted Christ, that you leave here knowing some of what to say, some of the very simple things, the Scripture is clear, some of the simple things to say to people about being in a right relationship with God, accepting Jesus Christ, being born again. All of those are phrases the Bible would use to talk about reconciliation to God. Or, you know the facts, but you're afraid to say something, that's several people, then the goal is to leave here today having lost the fear of talking to people about Jesus Christ. By the way, it's not some idea I dreamed up that we ought to tell people about Jesus. Pastor Charlie didn't say, hey, Dwayne, I just had this new idea and I want you to talk about it next weekend. Uh, Let's have everybody at Fellowship of the Rockies who knows Jesus Christ tell other people. It didn't come from anything like that. It came from the Bible. So we're just simply reading the Bible. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is where we'll be today, if you'll turn in your Bibles, your devices, or follow a new version, whatever you're using uh, for the sermon and the Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, there's a complete picture in just six sentences, a couple of paragraphs, there's a complete picture about the salvation that Jesus offers us. And there's a command for us to share the story of that salvation with every person on the face of the earth. We'll begin reading in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, in case you think, oh, okay, I'm not a he, I'm a she, let me tell you, uh, a stronger translation of that would be, if anyone's in Christ, there is a new creation. You see, it's not a he or a she thing, it's a God thing. God does the new creation. So a stronger reading would probably be, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, there's a new creation. There has been a new creation done in their lives, okay? The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, and he wraps it up here with another description of how complete salvation is. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are not righteous, but he gives us righteousness. Now, there are three parts in in this passage, in these six verses. 
three parts to a complete picture of salvation and what God desires for us to do with salvation, with His offer of salvation, and what He desires for us to do after we've received His salvation. First, the first part of that picture is this. Believers, those who have been born again, have been reconciled to God. Verse 17 and 18 says it this way. If anyone's in Christ, there's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. We've been reconciled to God. Reconciled usually means both parties do something. They, they take an action to get back in a right relationship. This meaning of reconciliation is a bit different. If you reconcile your checking account, does the checking account participate in that at all? No. You do it. You do it to the checking account. It's bring into agreement is the idea here of this word of reconciliation. And so, this is God doing something to us. That's why it says be reconciled to God, not be reconciled with God. He didn't do anything wrong. And so, the reconciliation is to God. He sent His Son, His perfect Son, His holy Son to earth to be the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, to live a sinless life, to die, to give up His life. It wasn't taken from Him. And then to take up His life again of His own power. Here's the picture. Colossians 1 verse 21 says it this way. And you who were once alienated and hostile before we're reconciled to God... Our position is one of alienation and hostility with God. Even though we may not hate God, we're not allowing Him to run our lives. I didn't write this. It's what the Scripture says. You're hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But here's the other side of the equation, or the other, other the side of the coin. He's now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you. Get these three concepts. Holy blameless and above reproach before Him. He makes us holy. We're not holy in our own merit. He makes us blameless. He takes away our reproach, our sin. All we do is admit our need, and we submit to Him as Savior and Lord, and He gives us new life. How complete is that new life? Romans 8, 1 and 2. I love these verses. I use these verses all the time. I remind myself of these. I remind other Christians of these often. Romans 8 verse 1 says it this, there is therefore now no condemnation. I like the sound of that. When I think about how much I mess up, I'm born again. I have eternal life. I've been adopted into the family. The Scripture says I've been justified, and I mess up. I sin. He says, I have an advocate with the Father, which, who is Jesus. And he says, there's no condemnation. Oh, there's conviction. The Holy Spirit draws me, but condemnation pushes me away. That's from Satan. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are born again. For the law of the Spirit of life, here's another phrase I love, has set you free. How are you set free? He tells you, in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. That's the good news. You can be free. And so, we who are born again have been completely reconciled to God. Not only have we been reconciled, but there's a second thing this passage says to us. 
Believers have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Verse 18 says it this way, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And then it says, And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, now some translations will say gave us the task of reconciliation. I choose it to be a much stronger word than task. It is a task, but it's a spiritual task, and it's a task that can only be accomplished by spiritual means. So that means God has to be active in me, in you, in order for it to happen. So it's a ministry. It's not just a task that was assigned. People need to be right with God. They need a right relationship with God. They need forgiveness of sin. And so when we're given this ministry, it's not about us at all. It's about every person who does not yet know Jesus. So we're given that ministry. We're helping them find their answer to the greatest problem they have. That is, they're separated from a relationship with God. Verse 19 says this, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Everybody has a desperate need to know that their sins can be forgiven, and we get the privilege of telling them how that can happen. Now look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. This is just stacking a little bit more on to the fact that we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. He says we are ambassadors. Here's the picture of an ambassador. An ambassador is someone who's given authority, given power by their native country to go to a foreign country and accomplish a ministry on behalf of their native country. So if we're born from above, if we've been born again, and the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we're not of this world, the Scripture says, but we're in this world. And so we're in a foreign country, and we're carrying out the wishes of our native government, so to speak. We're carrying out the wishes of God Himself. Verse 14 says another thing about our ministry. Back up a little bit in that passage. It says, For the love of Christ controls us. And a stronger translation of that would be compels us. In other words, it's not control like from an outside force. It's control from an inner force. That is, God lives in us. His Holy Spirit resides within us. And so the love of Christ compels us from within. He'll take over and He'll give us that push and that nudge to carry out the ministry of reconciliation. But it's not a dirty little task. It's the love of Christ compelling us to tell others they can have the same freedom and forgiveness that we received absolutely free. So believers have been reconciled. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation, not just a little task to do, but a serious ministry, a spiritual ministry. And believers have been given a message of reconciliation. Verse 19 says it this way, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against Him, and here's the phrase, and entrusting to us, entrusting to every believer the message of reconciliation. Listen, 
I know there are nonverbal clues in every conversation, but no serious message is ever communicated without words. And so we have to say something. And it says He's entrusted us the message, the words of reconciliation. Verse 20 says we're ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. If you make an appeal to a higher court, count on it. There are going to be words exchanged in that. He makes His appeal through us. Through us means God is working in us, then He's working through us. When we use those words, the words of truth from His Scripture, it's not just Duane being smart enough to tell somebody what they need to know. If you know me very well at all, you know I'm just not that sharp. But He is in me, and He's the one who makes the difference. So when I speak words about His salvation, He's doing the talking through me. He's doing the appeal through me. So what's amazing about that for me is when I decide to be obedient, then He takes over, and He does spiritual work, not just in me, but He does work through me in someone else. 1 Peter 3.15 speaks about this very same thing as well. The Apostle Peter says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Then he knew there would be some Christians who would decide they were superior to those who don't yet know Jesus. And so he tagged on this little phrase, but it's not just an afterthought. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So he says, Christ is, God is making His appeal through you. And then he says, by the Holy Spirit, be prepared to make a defense. Appeal. Defense. Those are legal terms. They take words. When you are making an appeal and you're hiring a defense attorney, you want someone who is the best they can possibly be. The best they can be with words. Oh, I know where some of you are going already. You're thinking, oh, I'm just not good with words, and so that appeal and that defense stuff, not me. I'll leave that for the other Christians, the other people who have been born again, who are just better with words than I am. Let's see what Jesus had to say about that very thing, okay? In Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 11, he says that to his disciples, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, now let me paint the picture here so you're clear. Before the people who are in charge of the synagogues, the churches, or the rulers, the civil government, the rulers and the authorities. Now, they were, he knew they weren't going to be brought before the government for stealing something or for breaking the, most of the civil laws. The people of that day, after Jesus left the earth, they were taken into the Colosseum and fed to the lions and killed because they refused to say, Caesar is Lord. They would say Christ is Lord, but they would not say Caesar is Lord. And he knew there would be a time that the people of the church of that day and the rulers of that day would drag those people before those authorities and tell them, you need to stop talking about Jesus. Just read through the New Testament. You'll see that it happened. And so, that's what Jesus is speaking to them about. When they bring you before those authorities, here's what he says. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself 
or what you should say. Don't be worried. Don't be all frightened that you won't know what to say. Don't forget Luke 12, 12. Easy to remember. 12, 12. Here's what Jesus said to them. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour. It doesn't say he'll teach you years in advance and you'll store it up if you're like me and your memory's starting to fail as you get old. Then you can get worried. Oh no, I have to memorize all of these things. You cannot possibly memorize everything you need to know for every situation you'll ever encounter in life. He says, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Here's what it comes down to. Do we trust God? Do we really believe the Holy Spirit is powerful enough that when we get in a situation and someone's talking about God and about this Jesus Christ thing and being born again, and I'm not so sure that there's only one way. Maybe there's a a whole lot of ways, and they all get to God and all of that kind of mumbo-jumbo. And we're sitting there going, oh, no. If I enter this conversation, I, I don't know what to say. Do we believe the Holy Spirit has enough power? Because we know Him, and He's saved us, and He's given us new life for us to just open our mouths and begin to speak about how He has transformed our lives and trust the Holy Spirit to take over and give us good words that will accomplish God's work and God's purposes. Now, let me say this. I believe the Holy Spirit does His best work when He has within us a reservoir of truth from His Word to just reach in and pull out. For instance, our church does it this way, by life journaling. Every day, we feed ourselves from God's Word. So, for instance, today, out of 1 John 5, I can be reminded by this. uh, I've written this so you'll know that you have eternal life in 1 John 5, 13. And so, if, if I'm in one of those days, or if you were in one of those days where you're thinking, whew, my performance was really bad, can, can my performance be that bad and I still have eternal life? And today, you're feeding yourself on God's Word and His truth says to you, the Holy Spirit guided this writing so that you would know that you have eternal life. So you read each day, and you, you don't have to memorize all of it, but you read each day in your life journaling, and you're writing down the application of what God's doing in your life, what God's teaching you. Here's what I'll submit to you, and I've had this happen many, many times. God will bring to my memory something that I maybe even read in life journaling that day or the day before or the week or month before or the previous year even. Suddenly, I'll remember something. I may not quote it word for word, but that's insignificant and unimportant. He brings it to my memory, and I'm able to speak to someone with great love, with kindness, and say, well, here's what the Bible says about that. And I can speak with authority And God works, and God speaks through me, and He can do that for every person on the face of the earth, all at the same time. So He's reconciled those of us who are born again, who've given our life to Him. He's given us a ministry. He's given us the message. 
so we can immerse ourselves in his word and learn that simple message. Now, so I don't send you out of here with just leaving you hanging. Whoa, 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 what is that message? I mean, I want one, two, three, four. Okay, if you're using the paper notes, you just flip them over. If you're using version, just scroll down. Pastor Charlie has used this. Well, our church has used this for years. CPR, critical path to relationship. That's a relationship with God. Now, in addition to that, just make a little commercial, out at the information desk, there are hundreds and hundreds of these little booklets written by a guy named Billy Graham called Steps to Peace with God. Simple little booklet that helps you learn verses of Scripture so you can talk to people about what it means to be born again. Or you can even hand out that little booklet to somebody say, hey, read this and let's have a conversation. But let me give you a really simple one here in addition to that one you can pick up. First, God loves you. Listen, I talk to people here in Pueblo all the time. They know there's a God. They're not convinced He loves them. Most people think God is really ticked off at them. So God loves them. He loved the world. He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's forever life. But our sin separates us from that right relationship. Every person on the face of the earth has sinned. And so the Bible tells us that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the third simple thing is this. Jesus is the only way to have a right relationship with God. Jesus himself said it. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is pretty narrow. Always don't lead to God. Jesus is the only way. Four, we must personally receive him as Savior and Lord. In other words, your parents couldn't do it for you. Grandpa, Grandma can't do it for you. You either do it or you don't do it yourself. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a Bible word for being born again, given new life, forgiveness. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth confesses and is saved. So with the mouth, when we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and that he really is Lord, then we confess with our mouth. Confessing with our mouth is as simple as praying and saying aloud to him something like this prayer. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for me on the cross and rose again to give eternal life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Please come into my life, take control of my life, for the rest of my life. Thank you for giving me eternal life and making me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, those are not magic words. But that paragraph does say all the Scripture teaches us we need to confess in order to be born again. Today, you have the opportunity, if you haven't done that, to do that. Our prayer partners will be here in just a few moments. And they would love to have the opportunity to walk through that with you. Now, I know people in Pueblo or people in Fellowship of the Rockies invite friends. I meet people all the time. Hey, I brought my friend to church. Thank you so much for trusting Fellowship of the Rockies with your friends and family members with spiritual direction for them. But I have a question, and I have a thought, and I've had this thought for several years. What would it be like if every person who calls Fellowship of the Rockies their church, that would be a few thousand people, 
if every one of us, every week, every day, realized and accepted that ministry we have of helping people find a right relationship with God, and we fed ourselves from His Word so we would have the message, the words that the Holy Spirit would bring back and help us to tell others. If thousands of us would go to the tens of thousands of people in Pueblo and in southern Colorado and around the world who still do not know Jesus, what kind of transformation could we see happen in this city and in southern Colorado? I dream of that day. God's given me that as a, a, just an overpowering burden for every person in our church. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Every week at this time in the service, we offer you the opportunity to receive prayer. I don't know what you need prayer for. All of us need prayer at some time or another. One time, I need prayer desperately. The next time, it may be you. But today, some of you already have been thinking, I just need somebody to help bear this burden. And even as I've been speaking, God's been speaking to some of you about different things that I don't even know. And you've already thought, I could really use somebody to help me. That's what our prayer partners are here for, is to help bear whatever burden you have. Maybe it's a a financial burden. Maybe you need help with a wise decision. Maybe there's a health problem. Maybe there are relationship challenges. Maybe you're asking God for healing for something physically or healing of relationships. Or maybe today you want to know Jesus. You want to be right with God and have that right relationship like I talked about earlier. Our prayer partners would love to help you with that. Maybe all during this message you've had a name that's God put in your mind and in your heart. Someone you desperately want to see know Jesus. And you'd like someone to pray with you for the courage or for the words to speak to that person so they could be set free and know Jesus Christ also. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, in a minute I'm going to pray. After I pray, I'll ask you to stand. And when I ask you to stand, I'll ask you to come. You won't have to come by yourself. Our prayer partners will be coming with you. There will be other people coming for prayer. But after I pray, I'm going to ask you to come. Jesus, thank you that you came to earth. You lived a perfect life. You died and you rose again to pay the price for our sins. So that if we would confess you as Lord and Savior, that you would give us eternal life. And I pray this morning. Whatever need there is in this room, that the people you're already speaking to would come and receive the prayer. And that the rest of us, who may not be the ones you're calling to receive prayer today, would just remain very focused on you and pray on behalf of all of those who are coming. In Jesus' name.